Welcome. You may be a member at Rochester Church of Christ, or you may follow us regularly online, or you may have been referred to this by a friend. Either way, we're glad you're here. This is Adam Hill, Minister of the Word at Rochester Church of Christ, and I hope that this message will speak into your life with the good news about Jesus. Good morning. Kenny, thank you to you and your team, and I appreciate everyone being here and uh, grateful for the opportunity filling in for Adam this morning as he is out and about. And uh, I think most of you know that he has been uh, in the Psalms, and uh, I think it was in Daniel last week, and we'll transition uh, from the Old Testament uh, to the New Testament. I'll begin there, and then we'll end in the New Testament. Uh, actually, that sounds like I'm going to be preaching through the whole Bible. I assure you I won't. Uh, I will be efficient with my words, and I will stick to the appropriate time. I try to be a middle reader, which means I, I read a little bit of everything. And I hope that that's um, given me some helpful perspective. Last summer, I got my hands on a quirky little book, and the book is titled... The Lantern Rouge, and I want to tell you a little bit about it. Here's the setup. Every year there is a bicycle race that goes around the country of France. I'm assuming you know about this race, uh, the Tour de France. And every year we learn about the winner. It's clear knowing who the winner is because we put a bright yellow jersey on that individual. They get trophies, they get accolades, and they get worldwide attention. It's a grueling race. All sorts of just gut-wrenching stories come out of this race. And what you might not know about this race is that uh, every year there's also a loser. And the loser of the Tour de France gets what's called the Lantern Rouge. And I just happened to own one, and I brought it this morning for you to see. So this is a Lantern Rouge, and this was actually on the Atlantic Coast um, Railroad. And it means a great deal to me, because my grandfather and my great-grandfather both worked on that railroad line. And most of you probably know what this is. That is the red lantern that goes at the end of the caboose. And it's very important because it would symbol, okay, now the train is passed and it's safe for you now to cross the tracks. And so every year, the loser of the Tour de France gets the lantern rouge because they're the ones, the one in the back. And the book researched and chronicled the last 100 years of the losers of this race. And let me tell you, the stories are fascinating. Some of them are hilarious, some of them are heartwarming, and some of them are gut-wrenching. Stories about uh, wanting to give up and I just don't know if I can go another mile. Stories about bicycles breaking down and fixing them with whatever small resources they might have in that little village they might be in in France somewhere. And I have to tell you, the stories of the losers are really interesting. 
I think the stories from the winners oftentimes are boring. In fact, about six months from now, many of you in here will watch the Super Bowl. And when the Super Bowl is over and they stick that microphone in front of the winning quarterback, we can get about 90% of what that quarterback's going to say. I think speeches from winners are boring. And when I'm sitting in my house watching that game, when the reporter finally makes his or her way to the losing locker room and puts the microphone in front of the losing quarterback, that's when I sit up straight at home. And that's when I really tune in because I'm getting ready to learn something. Stories from losers usually are quite interesting. And so the research in this book, what it does is it does something that we don't see often. It takes the spotlight, it takes the camera, it takes the attention, and it moves it from the front of the pack of the race to the back of the pack. And we watch the losers. For 24 years, I've had a job in which it is crystal clear if I am a winner or a loser. You might not have a job like that. I do. So for 24 years, I've been coaching basketball for a living, and when my workday is over, I know if I'm a winner or a loser. They tend to put it up on a really big board, <laughs> and there are numbers on that board. And if you are a CFO in here, I'm sorry. Uh, I, I saw a quote recently that said, there's been more fiction written in Microsoft Excel than Microsoft Word. I think that's true. However, these numbers that I deal with tend to always be accurate. And sometimes they post these scores on the internet and social media, and sometimes even the newspaper and even the local nightly news. Every day after my workday, I know if I'm a loser or not. So with that said, with the Lantern Rouge and losing as our background, I want to remind you of an old story. And I'm hoping what happens is that maybe you can hear this story with fresh ears. It's a story that most of you, maybe all of you are familiar with, and you could get up here and tell without even having to turn to the pages in Scripture. But I'm asking that you hear this story fresh this morning. It might seem odd that we pick this as our text when we're talking about losing. But here goes. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and I'll cut off your head. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and the very carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. 
All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and he struck the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead. He fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine. Let's keep reading. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword, and he drew it from his sheath. And after he killed him, he cut off his head with a sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to the gates of Ekron. David took the Philistines' head and brought it to Jerusalem. He put the Philistines' weapon in his own tent. As Saul watched David going out to meet the Philistine, he said to Abner, commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this young man? And Abner replied, as surely as you live, your majesty, I don't know. The king said, go find out whose son that is. As soon as David returned from killing the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with David still holding the Philistine's head. Whose son are you, young man? Saul asked him. David said, I am your son, the servant Jesse. From Bethlehem. That's not the story I remember um, hearing when I was at VBS 42, three years ago. But it's the one I'm coming to understand now. So what we have is we have David. And we have David winning. And it's the ultimate punk job. He not only kills him, he makes sure he's good and dead. He actually grabs the, his, the own, his enemy's sword, not even his own, and finishes the job. And then he goes back to Jerusalem with the head in his hand, and he puts it in the tent. It's almost as if it's a shrine. It's like a scene out of Braveheart. For everyone to see, we've won. We've won. Now, I want to be clear. I want to be clear that I understand that there are some sensitivities. Reading Jesus onto the Old Testament. So if we have any Old Testament scholars, I, I apologize. Although my homiletics professor in college said, if you usually end up with gospel, you're on pretty safe ground. So I want to say something about Jesus. In John chapter 18, if you could just pause that story for a minute that we just read. Just pause it there. In John chapter 18, we read about another story. The other gospel writers tell it as well. 
But John tells a story about Jesus in the garden and the enemy comes and Jesus is being arrested and a scuffle breaks out. A little fight breaks out. And in that fight, there is a high priest that comes after Jesus and good old Peter is going to have Jesus's back. He has Jesus's back. And so you remember what Peter does. Peter takes out his sword. And as Malchus comes at Jesus, he cuts Malchus' ear off. Perhaps going for his head. He cuts his ear off. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, Peter, put your sword away. I told you this is not how this is going to go down. I told you, Peter, that we were going to lay down our life. I told you we weren't going to do this. Put your sword away. And then Jesus bends down and he picks up Malchus's ear and he puts it back on his head. Those are two different things. Over here, we have David who wins by cutting off the head. And over here, we have the son of David who is Jesus. And he wins in a very different way. He wins by putting the heads back together. We can cut them off. We can put them back together. Two different things. Jesus comes and he says, here is how we're going to win now according to my gospel. We're going to lose. We're going to lay down our life. This changes everything now. And I have to tell you, I don't really like it. It changes everything. But one of the things that it ought to teach me, and I hope it, it is teaching me, is that now I don't have to try and overthrow you. I don't have to talk over you. I don't have to try to bully you or flex my muscles or intimidate you. Instead, what I'm called to do is put my sword away and lay down my life for you. That's the Jesus way, the way of self-sacrificial love. And again, I don't always like it. I don't always like it because sometimes it's just easier to do it the earthly way, to do it the David way. Let's just use our earthly power and control and overcome with personal might and will. I know that recipe really well. In the old days, I felt like I had to win with power and aggression. But as I'm well into middle age now, I'm becoming more and more convinced that I don't need the last word and I don't need to be on the defensive. What I need to do if I'm a Jesus follower is simply lay down my life for you. 
And what would my life look like? And what kind of world would I help produce if I really took up the Jesus way and was willing just to lay my life down? And here's the thing. Please hear this. It's easier to do for people that you love and that you like. So I see Dwayne Harrison over here. I'd lay my life down for him because I like him. And he likes me. <laughs> I saw Mike Kershaw earlier. Mike Kershaw taught me about Jesus when I was a kid. I would do this for him because I like him and he likes me. And just as I think that that's where it needs to end, I'm reminded of this parable that Jesus tells. And Jesus tells a story about a guy who gets beaten up, beaten up bad. And he's left on the side of the road to die. And a few people walk by, and they're the people that are supposed to be the good guys. They're the people that probably were at church. And they don't help him. They don't do a thing. And then the enemy walks by. Different race. Different background, probably different views. And this is the man who scoops up the hurting man and nurses him back to help. And when I read that story, I think to myself, oh, Jesus is, is a sweet guy. Jesus is such a sweet guy. This is such a sweet story. But then I read the ending lines of the parable. I usually try to avoid the ending lines of this parable, just read the parable and not the ending line. But here's the ending line to that parable. After Jesus tells that story, maybe you haven't noticed this in a while, then Jesus says this, now you go and do likewise. He tells the story and then he says, now you go do the same thing. People who claim Christ are people who ought to lay down their life for others. Even those that they might not always agree with. My neighbor is skeptical of us. He's become a really good friend. I invited him this morning. And he said, Clint, I'm just not ready to go to church. Still a little skeptical of me, and he's still a little skeptical of you. Because he has all sorts of data points related to Christians not doing what Jesus did or acting like Jesus acted. And I keep saying to him, Chris, when you see me, you ought to see someone that you are attracted to that would lay down his life for you. That's what you ought to see. And if you see something different, shame on me. Self-sacrificial love in the Jesus way ought to make us stand out. And this is what we ought to be known for.
At least that's what Jesus says. As I try to bring this together and wrap it up and if the sermon were a plane, how, 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 would, how would you land it smoothly? I was going to show you some pictures on these two screens, and I, I had the pictures ready to send to Phil, and, and uh, I ended up choosing to just say what they are because what I'm getting ready to say I think is too personal for you to be looking at the screen. I'd, I'd rather you be looking at me. Let me look at you. But... Imagine a few pictures on these screens behind me, and, and they would be something like this. Five big, gold, gaudy rings. And they're rings that uh, symbolize um, championships. One, they sit in my office. Five big, gold, gaudy rings that I don't ever wear. But they're there, and they're there for everyone to see all the success and all the wins. Or I could show you pictures on these screens behind me, and they would be big banners that hang from ceilings. And the banners speak of wins and successes. I could even show you three or four plaques that say, Coach of the year. I could show you numbers up here that would point to records broken and accolades and more wins. But here's what I would do if I was going to listen to Paul, who very much writes his gospel as well. Here's what Paul would probably remind me to do. On the screen, rather than those things I just said, that you would see two numbers. You would see an 8-19, and that stands for eight wins and 19, 19 losses. I coached a team one year that won eight games and lost 19. I am a loser. And in that year, I felt miserable I felt like a failure. I felt like I was letting the entire world down. I felt like a loser. And one thing and one thing only sustained me, and that was the reality that God loved me just the way I was. As a loser. I don't know if we have any Enneagram students in here. I'm one. And I'm a hard three on the Enneagram, which means this. It's almost impossible for me to feel love unless I'm winning. And that creates a really hard life. But it also creates an opportunity for me to know every day that all I can do is throw myself under the mercy seat of God's love. Kenny, if you want to bring your team up, praise team, if you come up, prayer team, if you would come up. Because Paul says this, church, church hear this, Paul says this, okay, do you really want to get into a bragging contest? 
Do you really want to talk about success? Do you really want to measure success? Do you really want to brag? Because if you want to do that, listen up. If you want to do that, listen up. Here is the thing that I will brag about. Here is the banner that I will hang. Here are the rings that I will wear. And here's what Paul says. Every church I started, I got fired from. I know what it's like to be cold. I know what it's like to be naked. I know what it's like to be shipwrecked. I know what it's like for all my friends to turn their back on me. Paul says, you really want to get into a bragging contest? Let's do it. Let's brag. Here's what I want to brag about. I'm a loser. And I'm weak. And it's only then that I lean on the strength of Jesus Christ. So as hard as it is, I want to boast about something this morning. And I want to be crystal clear on this. My name is Clint, and I am weak, and I am a loser. And Jesus says that that's a good thing. Because Jesus says, that's how you win. This week, may the Lord bless you and keep you, and may the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and give you peace. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God, through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, be glory and honor and power and authority for all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Rochester Church of Christ is called to live God's gospel, truth, and love with the world so that we all may find life together in God. We are not a perfect people, but we long to live in ways that help people see God and the kingdom more clearly. To learn more about our family of faith or to connect with us, visit www.rochestercoc.org. Remember, you are loved and chosen.